Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Our reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to the destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was, in, that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction." And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful." And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handling, handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Uh, thank you for, uh, for being here today and also being open and receptive to God's word. Uh, I'm thankful for my wife reading that passage, probably not the most fun passage in the book of the Bible in a book of the Bible to read. Uh, but today we're, we're going to be looking at uh, the theme of the prostitute in uh, the book of Revelation. 
And if you have an older translation, there may be a, a less polite word <laughs> that is used uh, in, this, in this combination of letter, prophecy, and apocalypse to describe evil. And the word prostitute symbolizes Babylon. And not just the historical Babylon, but what the historical Babylon embodied. In this context, writing to these seven churches, Babylon is, is, is synonymous with Rome, with the Roman Empire. It's Babel, actually, Babylon comes from the Tower of Babel, which was, got, which was people trying to attain a position with God. And what happened when they built that tower is their languages were scrambled, right? And they, and they divided. And so what we see is Babylon is about division. So we're going to look at Revelation 17, and then we're going to eventually read through ver, uh, chapter 19, verse 10. And hopefully I'll get there today. Uh, and thank you all for praying for us the last two weeks. Uh, I, I ended up coming down the Monday after I preached with COVID. I was kind of glad I took it a little safe and wore a mask and all that week. Um, came down with it actually after dropping Colden off to camp and the two little boys off to camp. All, everybody had tested negative, but we ended up um, pulling Ashton and Braden out of camp because Ashton ended up testing positive and then Colden came home from camp and he had it and so uh, it's been a it's been a fun few weeks and then Ashton decided he wanted to jump around our house and break his foot on Monday and uh, it's it's been a fun time in the Ross household but I can't tell you how excited we are to be here and how blessed we are to open up God's word, even if it is talking about a, uh, about a, a topic that's not so easy to discuss. So here's our big idea, it's this. Christ overcomes Babylon. Christ overcomes Babylon. If Babylon is the embodiment of evil, Christ overcomes Babylon. And what Laura read in Revelation 17 really exposes what, who Babylon is. And that's really the supporting point is that Babylon is exposed. Babylon's sin is exposed by God's truth and by God's word. Amen. Reason Babylon is called a prostitute is because in prophetic, in prophecy, often spiritual unfaithfulness is referred to as a harlot or some sort of unfaith. Because what is a prostitute even in our world nowadays? It's a, it's a something you pay for temporary pleasure, not, not something that lasts. It's transactional. And so that's, why, that's how sin is defined here, is transactional and ultimately something that exposes it for what it is, which is useless and empty. We see that this Babylon is, this prostitute is standing on many waters. And did you know ancient Babylon was built over canals? And that, that fl water flowed from the Euphrates River. And so what we see is that these canals led to, have you ever seen a, a map of the Mississippi River and like all of its distribu distributaries and where it comes from? And legitimately, one coast to the other, north to south, 
flows into the Mississippi River where we're sitting here at the mouth of it. Similar thing that's being uh, symbolized here is that these many waters represent the nations, the tribes, the tongues, the people in which Babylon had conquered. And so these people had been drawn, not only had been conquered, but had been drawn to submit and participate in the sinful activity of this evil empire. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 together in 17. It says, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman, the woman is the prostitute, the evil city of Babylon, sitting on a scarlet beast. Now this either represents the first beast that we talked about a few weeks ago or the red dragon. Either way, it's evil. It means that Babylon in its, its evil, evil intentions is being carried on by the work of the enemy. And the, the, that scarlet beast was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and seven and ten horns. What this represents is mimicking perfection and, and the totality of what evil can do. It says the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned in gold, jewels, and pearls. Now we'll get to the New Jerusalem here in a few weeks. We have three weeks of Revelation left. Next week we're going to talk about the victory, the rider on the white horse, Jesus coming back. Then we're going to talk about the New Jerusalem, and then we're going to talk about him coming back soon and what we're supposed to do in that meantime. But what we see here today is that, is that evil, because of God's uh, sovereign authorities, is exposed for what it is. And, and by saying that the woman was dressed in this way, in a similar fashion to the New Jerusalem is adorned, is that the woman is trying to mimic what God ultimately provides for his people. Now, God's people are arrayed in white garments. This woman is arrayed in some gaudy uh, fashion, right? And so what we see here is that, uh, is that the world is ultimately the things that appeal to us in the world. We try to accomplish through our own rights and our own ways, and that ultimately leads to destruction, which we see. Let's continue to read in verse 4 holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. Like I said, in prophetic literature, in apocalyptic literature, immorality was, was sexual immorality was used to really display religious unfaithfulness. And so what we see here is her hands aren't full of hope, right? And, and think about what the psalm says about Jesus and his right hands are pleasures forever, but in her hand are abominations. What we see in the book of Daniel is that the, the, it talks about the abomination of desolation. And in the book of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, in the light of where, where uh, abomination was discussed back then, really referred to the Seleucid king Antiochus who came and ransacked Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God, and offered in that time offered a pig on the altar to Zeus, the, the altar that was made holy to bring sacrifices to God. This evil, imp, this evil leader of this evil empire went in and offered sacrifices to a pagan god. And so furthermore, Jesus referred uh, in his Olivet Discourse in Mark 13 that there was coming a time soon where the same sort of abomination of desolation was going to come upon you and me. And that's every evil empire. That's every evil intention. Every evil city that's built up opposed to God and his will. 
That's why we're at work in a city like New Orleans. I don't know if you know, New Orleans isn't necessarily known for its purity. I don't know if you know that. We're not known for our purity. We've had a couple of mission teams here this last week, including one this last week, First Baptist Robertsdale, who we, we love. They're the ones that helped us serve 10,000 meals uh, after Hurricane Ida. And they served with us this week for our VBS. And then if you saw some pictures I posted on Facebook and social media, they helped us over in Kenner scraping our ceilings, trying to get our, our bottom floor ready for the work that needs to be done in the coming weeks. Great, great, great godly church and good, good godly people. And, uh, and we talk with them about New Orleans and, and, and often these groups ask about our city. Because our city, what do you think when people think of New Orleans, what they think of? They think of Bourbon Street, Mardi Gras. They think of these types of things. They don't think about the good things that embody our city. They think about the evil things. And to be honest, we as a city, in order to get tourists to come into town, we don't necessarily promote the good things all the time, right? You know, we promote the activities that people can engage in and come to. So we, even in our city, can see us like the spirit of Babylon, which is wanting to pursue your own means for your own good, for your own glory and your own advancement. I'm not saying New Orleans is Babylon. I'm saying that the spirit of Babylon can embody any city. And so what we see here is it goes on and, and John writes a, a, a prophecy about kings and which probably it may be one of the harder points to interpret who are the seven heads, who are the seven mountains, who are these seven kings. Some people say, well, that five have come and two haven't. And what, what kings are those? What, what, what Roman uh, leaders are they? Some commentators think, well, maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's not kings. Maybe it's kingdoms. Maybe it's that Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Seleucid Empire, these that came against God's people. Well, what I would point out is that five have come, but two are yet to come. And what it means is since five have already come and two are still to come, it means that the time is near. The fulfillment of all that is to come is near. But what are we promised in verse 14? I heard Andre amen when Laura was reading it. They will make lore on the lamb, but, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Now, we're going to read next, uh, not, not next week, but the week after about the rider on the white horse, God willing. And, and the rider on the white horse ta tattooed on his side, right? King of kings, Lord of lords, right? This is anticipating the fulfillment of all of God's promises. What we see in verse 16 is that the ten horns that you saw, they and the beasts will hate the prostitute. Get this. The beast will hate the prostitute. Now what does that mean? That means evil always falls in upon itself and evil always turns against 
itself. Evil is destructive by its own means. So you see, we read this, and I, Laura said after she finished reading, she was like, and Pastor Dean's going to come up here and explain it to you. If I, had like, if I had like a seminar and we could sit here for hours and talk about it, I could explain every minutia, I would encourage you to get a good commentary and also know that mystery is a component of revelation. That's why our big really overarching theme that we've been expressing through this book is that the war is over. Um, and so what we see here is a lot of symbolism. We see that evil inherently is self-destructive. It turns against itself. The city promises hope, but the city ultimately comes to an end. Augustine of Hippo said this in his book, the, the City of God. He said, the city of mankind, talking about Babylon, is earthly both in its beginning and end, a city which nothing more is hoped for than which can be seen in this world. Evil provides instant gratification. Purity, holiness, Jesus provides eternal security, right? Babylon is exposed for who it is. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Babylon contrasts with the new Jerusalem, which is the eternal dwelling place of God and his people. So let's go to our second point. We're going to read a pretty long chapter here, but I'm going to comment as we go. Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 24. It'll be on the screen or follow along in your Bible with me. So here we've seen that Babylon is exposed, and now we're going to see the next, what happens next. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. We know in the book of Ezekiel, the whole earth shone with the glory of God. So this angel, this representative, is a representative of God himself, and he called out with a loud voice. Now as I read this, I'll tell you what, what's happening here. In the Hebrew, what is being read here, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, is actually written in past tense. It's written in past tense. It's not future tense or present tense. It's saying that Babylon's already gone. That's why we say it is finished, it is done. When Christ cried out on the cross, it is finished, he didn't, he didn't mean it, we got to take Christ at his word. It wasn't like it is finished you know, until I win another war in 2,000 years. On the cross, he accomplished everything for you and me. And that's why this is being, that, that's what this means is, yes, revelation, there's a sense in what is yet to come. But what is yet to come has already been defeated by Christ. Amen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit. Even in ancient times, they understood a concept of haunting. Now, this isn't about spiritual hauntedness. This is more like when you said that a city or a house is haunted, what does it mean? It means that it's desolate. It means that it's empty. It means that it's creepy. It doesn't mean that Casper is flying around, you know, right? It just means that there's no, no life there. A haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And here in verse 3 is why Babylon had to fall. 
For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. I don't know if you know this, but you can profit off of sin. You can profit temporarily off of sin, but it will ultimately be empty eternally. That's why Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount told us, right? Store up for yourselves where? Treasures and where? Heaven, right? We don't store up treasures in earth. We, they, they rust destroys. They will go away, but we store up treasures in heaven. What's the greatest treasure other than the love of God that we can bring to heaven with us? People, right? We, ourselves and other people, right? We can't bring things that 50-something-inch TV that we have at our house, like, that's not going to heaven, right? The saints collectibles that I enjoy collecting aren't going to heaven, right? Tim, all your guitars aren't going to heaven, right? But people, people will come with us to eternity. Verse 4, Now I heard another, loud, another voice from heaven saying, and this is the call to us in result, uh, in light of sin, this is what God is calling us to do, Come out of her. We're called to flee the prostitute. We're called to flee sexual immorality. We're called to flee greed. We're called to flee our own gain. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. All these plagues, all these bowls, all this wrath, these seals, all these things that we talked about in Revelation... We invite them upon ourselves when we sin against the holy God. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that God's wrath, uh, love can't exist without wrath. So God's wrath burns against all things that aren't holy and his. And ultimately, for all things to be made new, we're going to get there in a couple of weeks, right? Behold, I am making all things new. For things to be made new, the old has to go. So Babylon has to fall. Verse 5. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. In the Greek, this means to cling to. This means that the sins that we cling to, we heap them high and they keep piling up. It's like, it's like the trash in my kids' bedrooms. Y'all, you ever seen that, you know? Like if you don't take care of it and you don't get it clean, it keeps accumulating, right? What we need as God's people is we need someone to take care of our sins and the heap of our own destruction once and for all. And Jesus has done that on the cross. And God has, remember, has, has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. It's almost like in the judgment of Babylon, it's almost like a reverse of the golden rule. Pay her back as she has paid others back and repay her double for her deeds and mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Verse 7. And she glorified herself, that's what sin always does, and lived in luxury, so give her a measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen and I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Sin never thinks it's going to see an end, right? We all think that we're, we're immortal. That's why we don't like to talk about death. That's why we don't like to talk about wrath. That's, we, we live life thinking that we have it all together and that we are immortal. 
Verse 8, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. This is going to be repeated over and over, a single day, a single hour. It means that when sin, when Babylon, when Babylon falls, what this means is that it's going to be decisive and it's going to be quick. It means that Christ accomplished it on the cross. And one day, all things will be made new. He will come in the blink of an eye like a thief in the night, right? And he will come for you and me, and he will redeem us. Praise our God, all all his servants. You who fear him, small... Oh, wait, I skipped ahead, sorry. And she will be burned up with fire. That was too positive. For the mighty is the Lord God who judged her. Verse 9. And what we see here is that the kings of earth, the merchants of earth, and the shipmasters are all going to be called out. Kings profited off of this evil empire, this evil propaganda of Rome. Merchants, they ultimately profited off of, it, it, it was warned earlier that the mark of the beast would allow would allow them to participate in the commerce of evil around them. It means that whenever you're profiting off of evil in this world, you're marked not by, by Jesus, you're marked by the enemy. And finally, we'll see that the seafarers are called out. And these seafarers, they, they allowed the evilness of the Roman Empire or Babylon to continue through trade. And subjugation, not only of of merchants subjugating slaves, but of subjugating other cultures and other people. It's still happening, still happening in our world today. Let's read here through this real quick. And the kings of earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Maybe in the back of their minds, they had the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in their minds. Y'all know Mount Vesuvius covered the ancient city of Pompeii and Herculeum. And what we know is during this time, they, that was a reminder. It's like if the book was written to us, maybe Katrina would be used as, a, as an object for destruction and despair. And they will stand off in fear of her torment and say, and say alas, alas, you great city, you might city, mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Just reminded of this, if you read the book of Acts, you know, the silversmiths' riots. They often turn against God's people who are sharing about goodness because people were profiting off of evil idols and selling things. And when those things go away, sin rages against God's people. Y'all know the people of God were stoned and even Stephen giving his life as the first martyr in the book of Acts. To this day, if you stand for righteousness and love, eternally you will receive righteousness, prosperity, and honor. But in this world, you will likely receive struggle. And and, And there's a list here of just things taken from all over the world that represent represent opulence and and luxury, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, 
All kinds of scented wood, all kinds of ivory, all kinds of, of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is human souls. If you didn't know, slavery in the Roman Empire was brutal. Slavery, slavery at all times is brutal. But slavery in the Roman Empire made slavery in America look like next to nothing. And I'm not, I'm not defending slavery in America. Slavery in America is evil, evil. But the Roman Empire, you ever seen the movie Gladiator? You saw how they treated slaves. They took slaves and they, and they made them fight for one another. If you didn't know this, the Roman Colosseum, which you can still go visit to this day, the Roman Colosseum was built on the back of Jewish slaves, taken from the promised land. Furthermore, when Jerusalem fell in uh, 70 AD, the, the temple was ransacked. And a lot of the things taken from Jerusalem that were built for God to honor him were taken and they were sold off. And did you know the proceeds of, the, of that built the Colosseum in Rome? Do you see how the early church is being reminded that even though evil profits off of good in God's people, evil will not win. The Colosseum is a wreck of what it normally was, right? We give tours of the ancient haunt that it used to be. And you know what? Every monument that we build, Bourbon Street one day will be a haunt. Every evil thing that we build will be a haunt when it's compared to the enduring glory of God and his people. And so we see that human souls were, were, were traded. And then we see verse 14, the fruit for which your soul long has gone from you and all your delicacies and, and splendors are lost on you and they're never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain their wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls for in a single hour all of this wealth will be laid to waste and all the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all those who trade on the sea and stood far off they cried out when they saw the smoke of the city up in flames the smoke of her burning what city was like a great city and then God's going to answer that here chapters later, there is a city that is to come, right? That's greater than this Babylon. That's greater than anything we can build up. Verse 19, and they stood, they threw dust on their heads. This is a sign of mourning in, the, in this time. And they wept and they mourned and they cried, alas, alas, for the great city who, where, all who had, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth for in a single hour. Do you see the same refrain over and over and over? For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles, for God has given judgment for you against her. And we're going to see that rejoicing rejoicing here in a moment where where God's people cry out in a not just a confession but a praise of who he is a praise that his truth is what it is this is a fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 51 48 and 49 it says then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them will sing for joy over Babylon will not sing 
joy to Babylon or participating in Babylon, but will sing for joy over the destruction of Babylon. Babylon must fall, is what Scripture says. Jeremiah prophesied it years ago, and the same is true today. Then we see in verse 21, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea. If you didn't know what a millstone it was, it's how they, it's how they pounded grain. Each house had a millstone that they pounded grain. Furthermore, communities had bigger millstones that used mules or even slaves to grind out the wheat and the grain for people to eat and, and as part of the harvest. Now, if you throw a millstone, if you're tying something to a millstone, you throw it in the sea, that means it's not coming back. Whereas, do you know this, even to this day, whereas we've found the wreckages of of ships that have gone, like the Titanic and several others here recently, Babylon's ruins will never be found. Babylon is gone. So will the great city Babylon be thrown down with violence and will be found no more? Verse 22, and in the sound of the harpists and the musicians, the joy that this city thought it had and the flute players and the trumpeters will be heard no more and the craftsmen of any kind will be found no more and the sound of the mill, its industry, will be heard in you no more and the light of the lamp will shine in you no more and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride celebration will be heard in you no more for your merchants and, and were the great ones on the earth and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who have been slain on earth. This reminds us Babylon is exposed but what we've been talking about is this Babylon is fallen. Amen. Babylon is gone. Babylon is Fallen. Do you know because of Babylon, because of evil rule, because of Rome, even our very Savior met his death, right? The Roman Empire, yes, the Jewish people, but also the Roman Empire were complicit, right? Pontius Pilate allowed for Christ to be crucified on a cross. What this means for us is, yes, Babylon is exposed and it is fallen. For us, Babylon's a warning. Babylon is a warning that we should not take part in her deeds, but that we should follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who holds all promises in his hands. Let's finish out here, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. And I'll read this whole, the, all 10 verses, and then we'll comment on them. After this, I heard what seemed to be, because we're rejoicing over the fallen state of Babylon. We're rejoicing over the coming king. After this, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. If you didn't know what hallelujah meant, means, it means Yahweh be praised. The Lord be praised. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Verse 3. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke of her goes up forever and ever. One day all things will experience that are apart from Christ will experience their choice. They will experience a second death 
for all of eternity. And the smoke of that torment goes up forever and ever. And the smoke of that torment is a testimony to the goodness and greatness of God who cannot withstand sin, who cannot be made unholy. He is holy. He is righteous. He is set apart. And we as his people will be the same. Verse 4, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and we, we saw them earlier in the story. They fell down and they worshiped God seated on the throne saying, Amen. This is, Andre is going to join in. He's going to say, Amen. Hallelujah. Right? You know? And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God. Same word for hallelujah. All you servants, all who fear him, small and great. And then verse 6, we get to the crescendo of the whole story. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And we see in verse 6, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Now, earlier on in, in the book of Revelation, a voice like a great multitude actually referred to the voice of Christ himself and then to his people who were sealed and set apart. This means that we are echoing his truth, echoing his promises in the voice of the great multitude, like the roar of many waters. I can imagine John isolated on this, imprisoned on this island of Patmos and hearing these waves crash against the shore and thinking, how much greater is the voice of the one who is speaking and calling and reminding me of his goodness and his greatness that Babylon is gone, Babylon is defeated, and this voice, like the roar of many waters, sounded like the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. We just sang that, right? Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride. Now get this, we're a bride. We're not a prostitute. We are a bride. We are real. We have, we have been made whole by him, and we have made ourselves ready. Verse 8, and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9, and the angel said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. John then writes, then I fell down to worship him, talking about the angel, but the angel reminds him that there's only one in the book of Revelation worthy of worship. The angel reminds him, he says, you mustn't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now this is the command. This is where we end. This is what the angel tells us to do. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you don't know anything about prophecy in the Old Testament and the New, prophecy isn't always telling about the future. About 90% of the time, prophecy is reminding of the truth, of the law, of the goodness of God. And in that, we're reminded about what's to come. And so the testimony of Jesus, when we speak the words of God, we prophesy. We prophesy. We prophesy because we were reminded of what Scripture is fulfilling. I love what my, my professor, I told you all I've read a book called uh, Revelation. It's a commentary by one of my professors at seminary, Gerald Stevens. I love what he writes about this. He says, all who speak a word about Jesus are prophesying. Because to tell someone about Jesus is to reveal them 
their future. Now get that. Tell someone about Jesus is to reveal to them their future. Their future is either apart from him for all of eternity or their future is with him for all of eternity. And that is our choice to make. That's why the angel says, blessed are those who are invited. Now we have an opportunity to be invited because Babylon is exposed, Babylon has fallen, but Babylon's done. Babylon is done. It's done. And for us as God's people, our eternity is not a fallen city. Our eternity is an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the new Jerusalem, right? All things, all tears will be wiped away. All will be made new. I love, I don't have it on the screen, but I love Isaiah. Maybe you want to write this down. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 10. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 10. I love the description of this marriage supper of the Lamb that we see in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it here real quick. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Now, Tim will like this one. A feast of well-aged wine, the best stuff, right? Of, of food rich, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. He's bringing the best to his people, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. We see this echoed in a, a few chapters now in the book of Revelation. It will be said on that day, blessed Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. One day, one day all things will be made new. One day in light of Babylon being done, we have an invitation to the new Jerusalem. Now this invitation, we told you, the whole book is tied into the call to the seven churches. Now there was a, you know, the, the, the churches were reminded in Revelation, Laodicea was reminded in Revelation 3, I'm going to close with this, Revelation 3, 20 and 22, that behold, this is Jesus talking to his people, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me and opens the door, I will come to him and I will, what, eat with him. Marriage supper of the Lamb. And he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. We are be, we're given the same, we're, we're, we're given the same position we're, to be able to sit at the feet of the King of Kings for all of eternity. Sit with me in my throne as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what the Spirit is saying to the church here in the book of Revelation. You've been invited. You've been invited and this is your future. The war is over and what the Spirit is telling us today is to come. What the Spirit is telling us today is to go and invite others to come. To come and join the family. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's our future. That's our promise. That's our war cry. Our war cry. 
How do we overcome the beast? How do we overcome the red dragon? How do we overcome evil Babylon? We do it through the confession of who Jesus is. We do it by loving him passionately and loving others personally. We're, we're a small tribe with a big vision. And anyone with a vision of who Jesus is, a spirit of prophecy, will accomplish all that he has called you to accomplish. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells Peter, on this rock I will build my church. I believe that's both through Peter and the apostles and then also on the confession that he is the Christ, son of the living God, right? On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That means hurricanes can come, pandemics can come. We can be kicked out of this building and have to go to this building, get back in this building, go to that building. That means that God's word will never end, and God's word will not stop going forth. And I want to invite you today to join that family and join that mission where we love God passionately, love people personally, and we invite as many people as we can out of the evilness of Babylon into the marriage supper of the Lamb and the new Jerusalem. That is our call. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's what all this symbolism is for, is to remind us that it's over. It is finished. It is done. Jesus has won. Jesus is winning. Jesus will always win. And we have a Jesus to follow. So let's follow him today. Let's respond. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray as we respond, I pray we will respond with joy and boldness. I pray that we respond with the joy of the that the apostles experienced even in the book of Acts where they were being persecuted, the joy that they were, they were honored to even be persecuted for your name. As Peter writes, that it, the glory of God rests upon us even when we're persecuted for, for the truth of who you are. God, help us to become uncomfortable. God, help us to move out so that we can be used by you. God, help us to love a world that desperately needs to hear about hope. Because God, we know that Babylon is fallen. And since Babylon is fallen and Babylon is done and Babylon's been exposed, we get to live in light of, of the city that's to come. Not what we have, but what is promised for all of eternity. God, we know you so love the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believed in him, wouldn't perish, I'll add, with Babylon, but would have everlasting life with you in the new Jerusalem. So God, help that to be our call. Help that to be the vision that we live with. Today, Lord, if there's somebody in here who needs to surrender something to you. Maybe it's their lives. Maybe it's a certain part of their lives. Maybe like the merchants of Rome, maybe they're holding on to something that that they think is good, but they need to give to you their time, their talent, their treasure. God, I pray that right now would be a time of response, would be a time of surrender. Jesus, we, we invite you to light us up so that we can go into a world that's dark and desperately needs you. Help us to go out and live by that truth today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing the song of response. If you need prayer, 
I'm actually going to invite you, if you want to go to the back during our time of response, Andre will be on one side, I'll be on the other side. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. Now is the time to surrender all to Jesus. Let's let him build our lives. Let's stop building our own. Let's follow him.